Amen. Well, we're going to continue our series on habits of grace. We started, we had a guest speaker come in um, the, the, um, the, the day after Christmas, and he shared a great message on prayer. And so we've kind of tied that into um, this, this series on habits of grace because cr- prayer is one of those channels of grace that we're looking at, just the basic channels of grace, basic Christianity. Last week we looked at God's word being one of those channels of grace, the word of grace and immersing ourselves in it, letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly, letting it, letting it saturate our lives, particularly the gospel, the, the gospel of grace just permeating and saturating our lives. And then, um, this week it's prayer. We're going to look at prayer again. Um, there are so many different angles that we can look at prayer and prayers. The topic of prayer and the focus of prayer throughout the Bible is so large and so major to the Christian faith. We could do a series on prayer alone. I pulled out my, uh, my, my wife requested it this week and I brought it home from my, from the office, the EM, EM Bounds work on prayer. It's like this thick and it's just loaded on so many different angles on prayer. And so one of my challenges this morning uh, as I preach on prayer is not to just be like a shotgun rapid all over talking about prayer. So pray for me as we're going through this message this morning, because there's so much that I want to say that could be said about prayer and the time that I have allotted this morning feels insufficient to talk about this weighty matter that is so core to our Christian faith, to our practice, and and the, the essence of our relationship with God, essential to our relationship with God. And so let me just start by asking you all, when was the last time you found yourself in a really hard season of life or a difficult day, and you responded to that time, that season, or that day, or that situation with prayer, you talked to God about it, and something changed. Just think about just think about the last time this has happened in your relationship with God that you have, your real relationship with God, where you're talking to God, you're listening to God, you're walking with God, and all of a sudden you go through a hard time, which is an inev- it's inevitable in a post-Genesis 3 world. It's going to happen. So we know the hard times are going to come. And the way that we fight that battle as those hard times come this is how we fight our battles. It's through prayer. We, we pray. And what does God do? He, he shows up. And how, particularly in the last time you were in that situation, how did God show up? Was it, was it an answer, an, an answer to your request? Did He grant your request? Because that happens a lot when we pray. Did He Give you help needed, comfort needed, perspective needed? Did he change you? Maybe he didn't change your circumstances, but did he change something in you when you prayed so that you can sufficiently endure and go through that time instead of being pulled out of the oven, half-baked, so that you can go through that time and be matured and developed and built up and shaped into Christ's likeness? Did he meet you in that way? Like, like he did with the apostle Paul when he's, when Paul's like three times, please take this, this thorn from me. And Jesus answered him 
But all three answers didn't involve him removing the thorn. It was, my grace is sufficient. The answer was, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength or my power is made perfect in weakness. And those of us who recognize our insufficiency in and of ourselves, our weakness, our frailty, our inability to do what only God can do, those of us who have recognized that, pray. That's the proper response. That's the proper response. And so this morning we're going to look at Psalm 62. There's a number of passages that we can look at and talk about prayer. We can look at what Jesus taught about prayer. We can look about look at examples throughout the Old Testament of those who prayed and God moved and God acted. We can look at the Apostle Paul's apostolic prayers, powerful prayers for the church or exhortations that he gave to the church to live lives of prayer. And I should go ahead and pray before we start. Lord, you do hear our prayers, and you've given us a wonderful, wonderful invitation, wonderful privilege to bring those requests, those desires, those struggles to you. And this morning, as we focus on this relationship with you and growing in that, Would you start a fire in our soul? Would you pour out a spirit of grace and supplication on us? Would you pour out your spirit on us and move powerfully? Because we need you. We need you, God. We need your power. We need your love. We need your truth and wisdom. We need you. And we don't want what this world has to offer. We want you. May it be true of us as, as the psalmist prayed. My heart and flesh may fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Whom have I desire? Who do I? Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none on earth I desire besides you. May that be true of us. And may we find the grace and the help that we need here today and in this season of life that we're in through bringing it to you in prayer. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So let me just say before we dig into Psalm 62 and we launch talking about prayer from that. Let me just say that throughout history where we see moves of God, revivals, reformations, awakenings, and renewals, we see prayer proceeding and accompanying these movements. And we need this. We long for this. As we feel the world is broken, as we see the brokenness around us, the deception all around us, we can lash out on social media, we can complain, we can contribute to all the negative noise, 
to, in response to the brokenness, talking to other people about how bad this world is, or we can pour out our hearts to God in prayer and he hears us and he answers and things change and we change when we pray. Andrew Murray said that where there is much prayer, there will be much of the spirit. Where there is much of the spirit, there will be ever increasing prayer. When you look at the book of Acts and you see the movement of God in the early church, through the early church, we see the kingdom of God exploding and expanding like wildfire. We see they were waiting on God in prayer together in one accord. Jesus had been crucified, resurrected. They had seen Jesus. They, Jesus told them to wait in Jerusalem until they're empowered from the Holy Spirit. And they did. They waited and they prayed. God poured out his spirit and they became witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the world. And even to this day, the kingdom of God is spreading. And you and I are Christians today through the witnesses throughout history, that have testified of the gospel in Jesus Christ, who have testified of Jesus Christ being the Son of God, crucified, buried, and resurrected. And so we see movement, God moving in power. power. We see revivals throughout history when things were really bad and the church prayed, or even in the Old Testament, where things were bad and, and Israel prayed and God showed up. And he moved. Things changed. We see reformations. We see awakenings. We've, we've seen them here in America. Just powerful movements of God. When people stop playing church and they start praying for real, like really talking to God, really getting real with God and quit just trying to check the box off and go through religious practice. And so there is a great necessity that we have for prayer, and there is a great privilege that we have for prayers. We've called this this series Habits of Grace. We don't want us to approach the spiritual disciplines as mere discipline and duty. We want to see the delight that they are, the means of grace that they are. The joy that, that, that's increased in our lives as we get into this channel of grace that God has for us. Our joy will be increased. So let's look at Psalm 62. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. From Him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man and to batter him? Like a leaning wall, a tottering fence. They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. Selah. For God alone, O oh my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from Him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rest my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. 
Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Selah. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances, they go up. They are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Once God has spoken, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God. And that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. For you will render to a man according to his work. This is the word of the Lord and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So here's our big idea this morning. Prayer is essential to our relationship with God. Through prayer, we communicate our praise, hopes, fears, pains, desires, requests, confessions, petitions, and thanks to God. And through it, we encounter God and find the help that we need in this life. Okay? And so first of all, let's look at how David points to who God is. In Psalm 62, David obviously was experiencing some some difficulty, some opposition from ungodly people who were doing terrible things. And his trust didn't go into his riches. His trust didn't go into his military power and his own might to fight. His trust ultimately was directed towards God. And the first thing I want to point out is that knowing who God is, like David did, fuels and shapes our prayers knowing who god is fuels and shapes our prayers before we petition who god is if we if we know the basis of that petition that god's a good father and we ask for a good gift from him it's going to fuel and shape that prayer it's going to shape our faith and believing that god wants to give good gifts to his children it's, a, it's an amazing, amazing reality, saints, that we have God's ear. It's amazing that we not only, we get to hear God's voice, and we get to hear it especially and primarily through the word of God. And he does speak in, in other means, like through creation and through dreams and through people, through circumstances. But the word of God is authoritative. We hear his voice through his word. We have the inspired words of God written down for us. And we filter all other messages that we get that we think may be God through what God's word says. But then we respond to his speaking to us in communication back and prayer. We talk to him. And this is, this is the basis of any relationship, right? You need communication and you need trust. There needs to be a transaction, a communicating back and forth, a listening and speaking, husband, or husbands and wives, to develop and strengthen your marital relationship. Husbands, you have to listen, right? And it helps to ask good questions, right? And vice versa. Husbands and wives, we have to listen to each other and we have to talk to each other. And this is how our relationship with God develops. And David pointed out five, six things here. One, that God is our rock. God is our rock. Dave, in, in, in the midst of unstable times and people who are unfaithful and untrustworthy and 
were attacking him, trying to take him out. He found God to be his rock and he prayed to God who is his rock. He found God to be his refuge when he could not find refuge among people because people were turning their backs on him. He found refuge in God. He found salvation, deliverance in God when nobody else could take him out of the circumstance and deliver him from the hands of his enemy. God could. And so he says, God is my salvation. And he says confidently, and this shapes, it shaped his prayers and fueled his prayers. And it will do the same for us as we behold who God is in scripture. We get a glimpse of who God is. David was a man of the word. As we talked about last week in Psalm 119, I encouraged everyone to read Psalm 119 this week and stirring you up to be people of the word. And look at how much he celebrated God's word and how much he dialogued with God. He was listening to God. He was devoted to God's word. He delighted in God's word. And he was responding back with prayer. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. So he was a man of the word. And so he he, de- he describes um, God as his fortress, his refuge, his rock, his salvation. He described God as powerful. Power belongs to you, God. Now, this is important, y'all. Because in a day when we see a lot of shaking and we see powerful leaders, world leaders rise up and we see kind of scary things happen, we need to be reminded who's on the throne. We need to be reminded who is all powerful because it's not a leader of any country that's alive today. It's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And we come, we come to his throne We come to his throne of grace. He's sovereign. He's sovereign. And we pray to God because he's sovereign. And he will put kings down. And he will raise kings up. Or presidents or world leaders. Who oppose him. And his will and his people. And so we pray. And that's what the people of God have done throughout history. They've prayed to God who ultimately is in charge. To the the king of kings. To the lord of lords. To the one who holds all authority. Power belongs to him. He's not only able though to answer our prayers. And all powerful. And we pray to him because he is. But he's also willing. His throne is a throne of grace. He's loving. He's he um, To you belongs steadfast love is what David says. Power belongs to God. And to you belongs steadfast love in verse 12. And so when we know God in this way, it fuels and shapes our prayers. it, It sets us in motion to be a prayerful people. What would it look like this year, saints? If we were just saturated in prayer, where we're spending time with God on a regular basis, and we're just kind of forgetting about the clock. Like you got cookies burning in the oven because you're just having a sweet prayer time with Jesus. And you're not even thinking about the cookies that you put in the oven. You're just capped, you're, you're caught up. What would it look like if we were a prayerful people? This is God's will for us as a church. This is, this is what involves being, as I've cast vision a couple weeks ago for us to be healthy disciples. Healthy followers of Jesus are prayerful people. They're talking to God. Okay? They're motivated by love. They're energized by grace. And they're leading others 
to become healthy as well. And so David had this powerful battering ram, as Charles Spurgeon calls it. He's, he says, <clears throat> you or I may take a hold at any time upon the justice, the mercy, the faithfulness, the wisdom, the long-suffering, the tenderness of God, and we will find every attribute of the Most High to be, as it were, a great battering ram with which we may open the gates of heaven. He calls prayer a great battering ram. Now, let me just clarify this, that in prayer, we're not trying to twist God's arm and get him to do something that he doesn't want to do. We pray because he initiated the conversation in the first place. He knows what we need before we even realize what we need and before we even ask. And he is set on doing good to us, but he's chosen that his will be accomplished and our needs be met through the means of prayer. You see, it's a privilege and it's a responsibility. As Spider-Man said, with great privileges come great responsibilities. Or as Jesus said, to whom much is given, much is required. And so we have this great privilege, great privilege to come to God in prayer. We have this great responsibility as well. The next thing I want to point out from this passage here is that hoping in and waiting on God is necessary for prayer. David did this, and he exhorted others to do the same. He said, for God alone my soul waits, and silence from him comes my salvation. He waited on God silently. Now this this is countercultural for us. This is hard for us. This is something we all need help growing in and learning because we live in a fast food culture, one click by now. Uber Eats, get it to your doorstep within 30 minutes. We live in a day when we have access to everything we need physically, right? We're just, we're taken care of. Now, as as Christians, we have that in our relationship with God through prayer. Not that he's, he's our butler or our errand boy for us, but we have direct access, communication with him where we can talk to him about whatever we're going through, where we can get what we need. Not always what we want or what we think we need, when we think we need it or when we want it. Yeah, we don't manipulate God with prayer, but nevertheless, we encounter God and we get him ultimately, which is the best. But David waited patiently on God. My soul waits patiently. When was the last time you were at a fast food restaurant or or a restaurant, a sit-down restaurant, and you showed up and they were like, well, it's going to be 35 minutes. And you were like, forget that. I can go over here in 10 minutes. I'll, I'll get my meal in 10 minutes. Or you're in a line and it takes five minutes in the fast food line at Raisin Cane's or Chick-fil-A or whatever. And you're like, this is too long. I'm going to go over here to McDonald's. Anybody else guilty of, of that over the last, uh, we got some hands going straight up. Like, yeah, we, we can get stuff. We can get food faster now, right? And so this waiting on God thing is really a lot more challenging for us in, in our day because you don't have to go kill the animal. You don't have to go start the fire, get the, get the wood for the fire and get the pot. I mean, there's, I mean, we just go and order and we give our credit card and boom, there we have our food, right? 
We jump in the car. You don't have to take a wagon or a horse or walk by foot and get there the next day, you know. Like, we, we have instant, instant help that we need these days with technology. And so waiting for us is very challenging. It's very difficult. And so what we tend to do often in our waiting, instead of talking to God about the struggle, the pain, the need, what's the tendency? Y'all know what we're talking about. About the middle a little bit. Complain. We tend to complain, right? Instead of turning the struggle, the pain, the hurt, the delayed gratification that we're feeling into prayer, we tend to complain. I mean, and it's direct, it goes direct towards those closest to us. They get the brunt of it, but ultimately it's directed towards God. Right? Okay. And so there's a better way for us. There's a there's a, a channel of grace, habits of grace that we can develop this week, this year, where we're waiting on God and we're pouring out our soul to Him. And this doesn't mean that that we're we're passively waiting. Biblical waiting is not passive waiting. It's not like well, just waiting on God and you're not doing anything. You haven't talked to God about the situation. You're, um, you know, you're praying for rain, but but you don't have an umbrella with you. Right? If you're going to pray for rain, God send rain. Have an umbrella, right? Expect God, believe God. Biblical hope and waiting on God is eager anticipation that God's going to show up. David hoped in God and waiting and hoping on God. Hoping in God and waiting on God is necessary for prayer. He says, for God alone, oh, my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from him. Waiting quietly on God in prayer. Eugene Peterson says this. He says that waiting in prayer is a disciplined refusal to act before God acts. A disciplined refusal to act before God acts. It's like, God, you're taking too long. We're going to do something else. We're going over here. Donald Whitney says that one of the costs of technological advancement is a greater temptation to avoid quietness. And so many of us need to realize the addiction that we have to noise. Waiting quietly, silently before God. It's like we rush into the noise. We rush in to the busy activity. And how many, how many bloopers, how many mistakes do we experience in life when we don't read the instructions, where we don't ask questions? We got an instruction manual and we have the master of the instruction manual and he will answer any questions that we have. How many of us get into trouble? We mess things up in our lives. Because we rush on ahead and we don't wait. We don't slow down. We don't quiet our souls to listen to God and then pour out our souls to God in prayer. Tim Keller on private prayer says that the infallible test of spiritual integrity, Jesus says, is your private prayer life. Many people will pray when they're required by cultural or social expectations or perhaps by the anxiety caused by troubling circumstances. Those with a genuinely lived relationship with God as father, however, will inwardly want to pray and therefore pray even though nothing on the outside is pressing them to do so. They pursue it even during times of spiritual dryness when there is no social or experiential payoff. And so let's be a people that are prayerful in the prayer closet when nobody's looking. And I think the key to that is just enjoying God, aiming to enjoy God. Just get real with him. Focus in on who he is. Delight in him. Talk to him. 
The next thing, and this is where I want to spend most of our time this morning, but I've already uh, taken <clears throat> too long on the first half, is pouring out our hearts to God is the essence of prayer. Psalm 62, 8, he says, trust in him at all times, O people, pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. David Mathis in his book, Habits of Grace, says prayer to God is not only a place for divulging our heart, but also for developing our desires. How many of us spend so much more time talking to men about God or talking to people than we do talking to God? Ian Bounds says talking to God about people is so much greater than talking to people about God. And if you want your talking to people about God to be effective and life-giving, life-changing, then spend time talking to God, listening to God, be with God. Some of us are very quick to running to our friends before we run to God when we're in trouble. Now, running to friends is not a bad thing. We, we should do that. It's necessary. It's part of healthy relationships and healthy Christianity. But God is to be first and foremost the one that we're talking that we love, the one that we care about the most, the one who we're living with the awareness that he's in every place. He sees me. He sees you. He knows what's going on. He knows us best. He's going to help us the best. He's the wonderful counselor. Praise God for, for those in the body of Christ that he's given as friends and counselors and help to build up. And next week, Lord willing, Kevin's going to preach a message on that, jumping in that channel of grace that God has for us, belonging to the body, gathering with the people of God, living out the one another's, positioning yourself to be met with grace because you're gathering with the saints. You're connected relationally. You're doing life together. And so let us be a people who go to him first. I I just recently uh, got on, <clears throat> actually I've been on Marco Polo for a while. My wife has been on it and the ladies get into that. And I have recently just really enjoyed it. It has changed my life in a good way. And in, in increasing the co- connectivity that I have with others and also the productivity because it's a lot easier to just put on the the, the walkie-talkie video while I'm driving and have a conversation with someone and then conveniently revisit that. Um, and so I found it very helpful. But God forbid that I should spend more time there than I am spending in prayer, talking to God, pouring out my heart. What a great tool and uh, technology we have to pour out our hearts to people. FaceTime, Marco Polo. I mean, there's a number of tools that we have for connectivity. But we have this with God. Like, you hit one button, you you take one step of faith, you bow your knee, <clears throat> and you draw near to God in faith from your heart. You talk to him sincerely and genuinely. You come in faith, and boom, it's working. You got internet connection, Wi-Fi. You don't lose it anywhere you go. It's It's global. You will not lose the signal. You got this connection everywhere you go. Four bars, five bars, 5G, 7G. You got this connection with God that's not changing. That's there. It's available for the taking. And so let's talk about what is prayer. New City Catechism, me and my family are re-engaging with this. I have challenged my kids to memorize all 52 question and answers of the new city catechism this year and they will be rewarded for their work 
The dollar family will get a dollar per question for every answer, <laughs> every, every question and answer that they can recite. We love listening to the songs. It's a great tool, very helpful, highly recommend it. But question 38 says, ask this very question, what is prayer? Go ahead and get your dollar here, kids. Uh, memorize this one. And this is the adult version. There's a kid's version as well that's just simply pouring out your hearts to God. But the adult version says, prayer is pouring out our hearts to God in praise, petition, confession of sin, and thanksgiving. That's prayer. It's a great definition. Psalm 68 exhorts us. David exhorted people to do that. Pour out your hearts to him. Pour it out. C.S. Lewis said, prayer in this sense of petition, asking for things, is a small part of it. Confession and penance are its threshold. Adoration, its sanctuary, and the presence and vision and enjoyment of God is the bread and the wine. Amen. What is prayer? Prayer is pouring out our hearts to God. Excuse me. Prayer is a conversation. It's not one that we start. This is important. I mentioned this earlier. Prayer is a conversation. David Mathis in Habits of Grace said, Prayer is a conversation, but not one that we start. God speaks first. His voice sounds in, in the scriptures and climactically in the person and the work of his son. Then wonder of all wonders, he stops, he stoops, he bends his ear to listen to us. Prayer is a reflex to the grace he gives to the sinners he saves. It is soliciting his provision in view of the power he has shown. God starts the conversation. Tim Keller says that prayer is a personal, communicative repose to the knowledge of God, a response to the knowledge of God. If prayer be a true conversation with God, it must be regularly preceded by listening to God's voice through meditation on Scripture. Eugene Peterson, also emphasizing that God starts the conversation, says prayer is a response to God who speaks, a, a response to God who speaks to us. God's word is always first. He gets the first word in always. We answer. Prayer is answering speech. Prayer is never the first word. It's always the second word. God has the first word. Prayer is answering speech. It is not primarily address but response essential to the practice of prayer is to fully realize the secondary quality so what is prayer how do we pray effectively here's some just a handful of ways that we pray effectively first of all we pray sincerely we don't play games we don't pretend we let down the guard we, we get raw with god and that includes in, in the Psalms, we see the psalmist saying, I pour out my complaint to God. That even involves, if you got a complaint in your heart, God knows it's there. <laughs> Don't act like it's not there. <laughs> he knows it's there. Talk to him about it. Be sincere. Be biblical. Pray biblical prayers. Prayers that are based on God's word, based on God's will. I mean, Jesus taught us to, to pray. When we pray, we're to pray, your will be done. Your kingdom come on earth as, as it is in heaven. What better way to pray God's will than to just take God's very clear, revealed will and scripture and talk to him about it? 
I mean, you could start with biblical prayers in the Psalms, which I highly recommend. The book of Psalms is the school of prayer, as it's been said. And Jesus' teaching on prayer in Matthew 6, when he taught his disciples how to pray, every one of those petitions can be found within the Psalms. And Jesus prayed the Psalms from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The Psalms are powerful for learning how to pray. One of my favorite books of the Bible. By the way, they're this, this, the book of Psalms is the most quoted Old Testament book in the New Testament. Martin Luther called it the mini Bible. Pray persistently. Don't give up. Don't just ask once. Keep praying. Ask and keep asking. Seek and keep seeking. Like persist. Fight in prayer with the battering ram. Not, not to twist God's arm because he's unwilling. He is willing and he is able. But appeal to his character, knowing who he is, knowing his character that's revealed in scripture. And appeal to his promises. Take a hold of those promises that he's given you and I and say, God, you've said this. I believe it. I'm going to ask you to fulfill this. Pray those things persistently. Pray faithfully. Pray fervently. Pray fervently. If you're lacking spiritual fervor in your life, I want to recommend fasting a little bit. Go without a meal or two. Or day. Give up social media. Give up some things that are distractions to you. And sharpen your affections. Increase your spiritual fervency by making room for God to fill your heart and fill your life. Through prayer and fasting. They go together. Throughout the Bible as their fasting is talked about. Coupled with prayer. Prayer and fasting. And I was, again, I just want to say I'm so delighted for our church, those of you who participated in our corporate fast at the very beginning of the year, felt like we've gained momentum, spiritual progress. And I just heard some people who haven't fasted before who fasted for the very first time. And we heard testimonies and we're going to see fruit from our prayers and our fasting. We're going to see fruit in our own lives, change of heart. You might get discouraged. Like, I'm sure there's somebody that maybe fasted or tried to fast that was like, this stinks. Why am I doing this? Where's the fruit? Where's the results? Like that, that does happen too. But you're sowing seeds. You're denying yourself. You're saying, God, I want you more than this food and I'm creating space for you. Don't give up. Persist in that. If you're, if you're finding yourself cold towards God, I found that, that fasting is a powerful weapon to, to help increase and stir up, give momentum to your prayer, a channel of grace where God meets us. When we do, and then pray boldly, pray bold prayers. We have access to dad, to father. We can come boldly before his throne of grace based on the work of Jesus, our mediator. He's given us access through the spirit. Ephesians two, I believe verse 18. We have access to the father, the father, son, and the Holy Spirit's all involved in this practice and habit of grace we call prayer. They all have their part. And then pray until you pray. Okay, I love this quote. This is from D.A. Carson in his book, Praying with Paul. And he's talking about the what the Puritans would say. They would say this phrase, pray until you pray. What does that mean? Pray until you pray. Okay, 
What they mean is that Christians should pray long enough and honestly enough at a single session to get past the feeling of formalism or unreality unreality that attends not a little praying. If we pray until we pray, eventually we will come to delight in God's presence, rest in his love, to cherish his will. Even in dark or agonized praying, we somehow know we are doing business with God. In short, we discover a little of what Jude means when he exhorts his readers to pray in the Holy Spirit, which presumably means it is treacherously possible to pray not in the Spirit. We can pray prayers that are totally not in the spirit, totally not honoring to God, totally not from the heart. And so we want to pray the word of God, the will of God, energized and directed by the spirit of God. What are some hindrances to prayer? The first one is pride, obviously. Because prayer requires humility and dependence and faith. We're coming to God because there's something we can't change, but he can. He has all power to do so. Psalm 10 verse 4 says, In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All of his thoughts are, there is no God. Do any of us live like this functionally? While we may verbally affirm we believe we believe god we believe the bible do we live functionally as atheists as if god's not there and god doesn't care and so pride which is focused on us it's all about us what can you do i the i in the word pride keeps people from seeking god asking for help from god distractions the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians eleven three, he said, But I'm afraid that the serpent, as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray. Your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. We live in a day of distractions and notifications. If you're being bombarded on your phone with notifications and you can't focus, I encourage you to go through your phone and turn off silence notifications that are unnecessary. I mean, even text messages. Now, guys, don't silence your wife's text messages. You'll be in trouble. But there's a lot of notifications that we get that is just unnecessary and so distracting. And we may be in the zone of prayer or in the zone of studying the Bible, of work, or having a heart-to-heart conversation with our children or our spouse. And we get a distraction and we get out of the zone and it's really tough to get back in the zone. And you hurt somebody's feelings for, for looking at your phone at the dinner table. There's measures that we have to take because within the last 20 years, things have changed. I mean, 20 years ago, I had a little beeper. I got, I got numbers or maybe 22 years ago. Yeah, 22, 23. And then I had this little Nokia phone, little red Nokia phone. And it was phone calls. Was there text messages then? I can't remember. No, it was phone calls, right? And so 20 years later, I mean, we're FaceTiming with folks. We got video on the other side of the world, live video. And we got notifications that are, that are just bombarding us every day. And so we have to push back. Jesus lived in the zone. He lived in the zone being prayerful. He was set on doing the will of the Father. 
He was all about his father's business. His disciples would come and they would see him praying early in the morning. He lived in, he, when, when, as far as ministry, he was like, he, he kept in step with where the father wanted him to be. And he said, I must be about my father's business. He didn't let even his mom or his brothers pressure him to get out of step with his heavenly father's will. He only did what he saw the father doing. And he was able to say at the end of his life, I have finished the work you've given me to do. I've glorified you here on earth. So prayer hindrances, doubt and double-mindedness. James 1, 6 and 7 says, but let him ask in faith without, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. None of us wants to be that. We want to be wholehearted. We're made. God has wired us. To be single-hearted, wholehearted, to hit on all cylinders, to be fully alive, trusting him, pouring out our heart to him, loving him, loving others. And life just works so much better and is so much pleasant when we follow his design for us. Other hindrances to prayer are unforgiveness. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus taught us to pray, forgive us of our debts as we forgive those indebted to us. Marital disunity. First Peter says, husbands dwell with your wife in an understanding way, considering her as the weaker vessel, as your heirs together of the grace of life, um, dwell with her in an understanding way, lest your prayers be hindered. So our prayers can be hindered as believers because of our disunity in, in marital relationships or distorted view of God. If you see God as a harsh, taskmaster you're you're not going to be excited about approaching him and you're not going to boldly approach him you're going to cower back in fear and the gospel tells us in romans chapter 8 verse 15 for you did not receive a spirit of bondage again to fear but you've received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out abba father and so through the spirit helps us see God as father. The scriptures help us see God as a good, good, perfect, powerful father. Jesus helps us see God as a good, perfect father, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And we pray to him. We pray to daddy. We pray to God and we approach him like a child with their father. We come boldly. When we have the right view of him and our relationship with him. But if you see yourself as a slave and you're living under legalism. And you're living under the weight of you got to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and make it happen. If God's really going to love you. You're really going to be in the family at the table. You got a place at the table. You got to earn your place at the table. I mean how many kids have earned their place at the table? They come in, they come in with no ability to do any chores. All they do is contribute cuteness, dirty diapers, sleepless nights, whining. Now it, it, it gets better, but they're so cute. They're so precious. 
And in the first stage of life, it's just grace. They're just recipients of blessing, of grace. And, and, and mom and dad are taking care of them. Brother and sister are taking care of those little ones. And they're just getting doused with grace and care and love. But at some point, they got to grow up and they got to they get out of diapers. And they got to put their own clothes on. And they got to contribute to the chores of the house and put the dishes up and take out the trash and learn to be a responsible human being and work with your hands. Sorry, y'all. Lastly, um, unconfessed sin is a hindrance to prayer. Well, not lastly. There's two more. Sorry. Um, <clears throat> failure to ask. James James four says that you desire and do not have because and do not have, so you murder, you covet, and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have. Because you do not ask. There are some things in life that we won't experience simply because we haven't asked God about them. We haven't said, God, Father, would you help me with this? God has chosen to meet our needs through prayer. God's chosen to move powerful. We get to partner with him. We get to step into this privilege and be a part of what he's doing. And of course, he's doing the heavy lifting. Not us, but we're praying. And then asking with the wrong motives. James 4 says, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So let me get to the application so everybody can have a sigh of relief and know that the, the plane is landing. Resolve to be a prayerful person this year, saints. Resolve. To be a prayerful person by being aware of God's presence and keeping ongoing short accounts with God. Resolve that that this year, this week, that you're going to be a prayerful person by God's grace. He's going to lead you into it. And you, it, you may need to start with what the disciples started with as they saw Jesus in his awesome prayer life. Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples to pray. Like they, the, the disciples realize they're missing out on something. They're seeing Jesus getting these downloads from heaven and he just in the zone all the time. And they're like, Lord, teach us to pray in Luke 11. And he does. He teaches them. He gives them the basis. He gives them the structure. He gives them the outline. He gives them some re- very simple, basic truths to start with. You may need to start with the Lord's Prayer and using that form mentally, internally, and praying of the essence of the Lord's Prayer, starting with approaching God as Father, our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name on who God is. Adoration is included in that. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Sometimes we come to God with our laundry list agenda that we want done. And we don't spend time thinking about and praying into his agenda, his will. That should be priority. If we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, all these other things will be added to us. Nevertheless, he does teach us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. He cares about the bills, the bills and the food and the things that you need. Forgive us of our sins, our debts, as we forgive those who have wronged us. Relational component. He cares about how your relationships are going. If you're offending everybody or they're offending you and there's forgiveness that needs to occur so that you can be healthy and thrive. He cares about that because it'll hinder you, hinder your prayer life. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. There's a spiritual battle that we're in, and we are pulled and tempted to sin, and we need his help, and he's mighty to save, and he will. He will deliver us. 
but we need to watch and pray lest we enter into temptation. We need his assistance. We need his help. We need his direction. We need his guidance. Jesus told his disciples, watch and pray lest you enter in temptation. So practically make daily appointments with God, finding your time and place to meet with him. Okay. We do this with, with one another, right? We're like, Hey bro, let's get coffee on Thursday, three o'clock. Hey sis, let's meet up on Saturday for breakfast, right? You make an appointment and you show up there and you meet and you connect and you have a good time. But if you make an appointment, you don't show up, you miss out. And many of our disappointments in life are directly connected to our misappointments with God. We'll say that again. Many of our disappointments in life are directly connected to our misappointments with God. We haven't invited him in. We haven't asked him. We haven't poured out our hearts to him. And we're disappointed. We're discouraged. We're hurt. We're frustrated. We're like a toddler. Like, just don't even have the words. Like, this is bad. <laughs> and, and dad's like, use your words. Use your words. Jesus made appointments and kept his appointments with the father. He would rise early while it was still dark to a desolate place, an isolated place. And there he prayed. This was his habit. He lived in this zone. Allow scripture to shape your prayers using biblical prayers and God's will revealed in the Bible. John seven, John fifteen seven says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. That's powerful. That's something to cling to right there. That's something to aim for right there this year. Find prayer partners and pray together with others. If you need, if you, if you want to experience momentum in your life, in your prayer life, pray with others who are praying people who have a desire to pray and just do it. Just do it. Like don't just spend time bringing those things to God together. I mean, if recently I was talking with, with some friends about just the desire to have spiritual gifts being activated and, and active in, in church, in our church. Prophecy, particularly words that were that were a prophetic community, giving words, admonishing one another, teaching one another, exhorting one another, downloading grace, being conduits of God's grace into each other's lives. I think I come back to over and over again. If we want to see a move of God, we want to see God move powerfully, we need to devote ourselves to prayer because throughout my Christian life, that's where I've seen God move with spiritual gifts being activated and used and, and words just coming forth like, man, this is God. Corporate prayer times, praying together with others and God just moves in that. Through prayer and the proclamation of the gospel are the two primary means that we see the kingdom of God advance. And yet prayer meetings and outreach meetings tend to be the least attended. So let me close with this. Turn your fears and anxious thoughts into your prayers to God. Be anxious about nothing. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer in supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Many of us don't pray until we experience trouble, anxiety, fear, cares that are, that are diminishing our capacity to enjoy life. And so we realize something needs to change and I need to pray. And we pray. And, and, and the, when we're feeling that, 
we need to turn those prayer, those anxious thoughts that we have. If, you're, if you have like your devotionals all planned out in the morning, but you're just bombarded with anxious thoughts and you can't focus on your devotionals because <laughs> those anxious thoughts are just flooding, we'll turn those anxious thoughts into prayers and attack them with scripture. Cling to the promises of God. Uh, appeal to the character of God. Remind yourself of who God is and fight. Fight with prayer. Pour out your heart to God until that burden is rolled off and you're free. And God's given you strength and he's given you grace to carry on throughout the day. Rather than just continuing through carrying, just, I'm just going to carry that anxiety and that fear in the back subconsciously. And just I've got to do my devotions. Pour out your heart to God in prayer. And he says, if, if we do this, there's a promise here. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds. Just think about how much more healthy our relationships will be this year if we're a prayerful people. Just think about how, more, how much more productive we'll be this year if we would be a prayerful people. Think about how our joy would increase this year if we would resolve to be a prayerful people. Jesus said, last verse. Until now you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you shall receive that your joy may be full. Would you bow with me in prayer? Lord, you have started this conversation. And we want to keep it going. We want to respond. That you would be delighted and honored. That our joy would increase. That the joy of our families and our church would increase. That the joy of the peoples throughout the DFW would increase. Because your kingdom invades Righteousness, peace, and joy invades the darkness and the brokenness, bringing order to the chaos that's around us. And so, Lord, help us to get in the zone by your grace. Help us to get in the channel and just camp out there. Empower us to be who you've called us to be and to do what you've called us to do. Give us the help that we need as we frequently... Approach your throne of grace. Give us the mercy and the grace we need to be godly parents, godly spouses, to be hard workers, to be good friends, godly friends, to be faithful, good and faithful servants. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.